Welcome back to the Kevin Carrier Show just after 8 o'clock here on a Wednesday morning. Brandon Douglas sitting in for Kevin today as he uh, enjoys a additional day off on his uh, holiday trip out to Saskatchewan. Rolling through our uh, best of edition of the program. Uh, next up, we have former MLBer Terry Poole uh, joined Kevin for a chat um, back during what was the uh, American League World Series between Terry's former team, the Houston Astros, and eventual World Series champion, Texas Rangers. Uh, Terry Poole is powered by booster juice visit a location today to refuel refresh and re-energize or download their new booster rewards app to earn order and enjoy here is terry pool we welcome in terry pool uh to the program good morning terry how are you today i'm doing well thank you uh, uh it's really kind of interesting to hear <laughs> you know your name on the uh, on a very prominent sports show that's, uh, that's very impressive. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Terry. Uh, you know, as I was saying, uh, full disclosure here, Terry and I are from the same hometown, Malville, Saskatchewan. One of the reasons that I got into baseball, Terry was, you know, one of the best players around, obviously. Uh, uh, so just for the, our listeners, Terry, you want to... Canadian Midget Championship, I believe, in 73 or 74, and then went on to sign with Houston. But, um, I mean, what was it like kind of growing up in the middle of nowhere and then signing with the Houston Astros? <laughs> well, there's quite a story here. There's, uh, you know, the, the, the signing actually occurred in 73. We won the Midget Champions National Championship in Barhead, Alberta, not too far oh. from where you were at. And uh, so the scout was there, and uh, we... Uh, you know, he said that uh, would you like to uh, would you entertain a professional contract? <laughs> I looked at him like, are you crazy? Of course I would. <laughs> it's like, and so then he came back to Melville two weeks later just to make sure my arm was okay. Uh, ran me through some brief uh, drills over at Puri Field. You remember? Yes, Field? for sure. Yep. Yeah. And uh, you know, I actually split my twelfth grade into two two years. I uh, went to the first semester, left high school, and went to play my first year of professional ball. Came back, played my second year, uh, the following year. I didn't really graduate with the with my true graduating class, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, but anyways. Uh, uh, it was it was quite an experience that early in my life. Oh man, and it's so good to talk to you. As I said to our listeners off the top, uh, you were one of the first ever interviews that I did uh, when I got into broadcasting in 1990 when I was working at old CKOS TV in Yorkton, which you remember. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was one of the right, two Linus channels. West, Linus Westberg used to be there. Yeah, Linus Westberg now in Red Deer. Last I heard, yeah, anyway. Yeah, uh, well, I still talk to Linus. Oh, oh that's amazing. Yeah, it's. it's that guy is he's he is he he goes so hard you know it's it's wonderful to see uh and you know another guy who's like that is Cal Smith Cal Smith was a general manager for the Astros here okay. he had his 90th birthday party recently a bunch mm-hmm. of us players we all showed it was a surprise birthday party that guy remembers more about the 80 series than we do you know <laughs> so, I mean it, he can you know he walks around like as if he's in his 70s and you know it's just it's really neat to watch Terry Poole is our guest on the Kevin Carey show on Sports 1440 so Terry you, you kind of mentioned your early days when you went to, to I guess it would be rookie ball and low-level A and things like that. How was it that you sort of, um, I guess, fast-tracked your career over the next couple of years to climb the ladder in the Astros organization? Well, if people 
probably don't remember, but uh, the Astros were horrible <laughs> in the '75 area era. Uh, Astros were, were were one of those 100 loss type uh, ball clubs. Uh, they were an old team, and uh, they were making significant changes. They brought in Bill Verdon as a manager, mm-hmm. and and his his uh, he was uh, assigned to make it not only better but younger. And uh, so I got fast tracked, uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, after my A ball season in Dubuque, Iowa, in '75. Uh, I had a I was in a, a dead heat uh, for the hitting title with a guy named Pete Guerrero with the Dodgers. Yes, you remember at oh, that time. Sure. And uh, you know, uh, I ended up hitting uh, uh, 349 that year. And I mean that those are those are good numbers. And, and Pete got so hot that last week, and you know he just blew me out. But uh, I, I actually had thought I had won the batting title. But uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was uh, it was uh, that was the the time when the Astros I put myself on the map with the Astros and I got fast tracked after I went to double A the following year actually was in double A uh, uh, I used to we used to have to there was about five of us who were, were required to go early every morning at home games mm-hmm. and we had to go out to the field and work out well one of those guys was was uh, Bruce Bochy who's the manager oh. now with the Texas. Uh, the Texas Rangers, mm-hmm. and uh, so Bruce would pick me up in his blue Chevy Nova, <laughs> and we would drive 100 miles an hour to the ballpark. I'd be literally in the passenger's <laughs> side, just shaking and holding on the whole time. <laughs> He's a great guy, Bruce. I, I you know, dearly love him. And, yeah. uh, you know, happy to see what he's doing, but he needs to he needs to slow down a little bit. Let the Astros hit a little bit. <laughs> Terry Poole is our guest on the uh, Kevin Carey Show, Sports fourteen forty. Terry played oh fourteen fifteen years with the Astros, a little bit of time with Kansas City at the end of his major league career, but widely regarded as probably the best uh, Canadian positional player before the likes of uh, Larry Walker came along. So I'm just wondering what you see when you look at a guy called up like Evan Carter for Texas. Does he remind you of maybe a maybe a who knows just a a young Terry Poole coming up at the, you know, isn't it amazing what he's contributed so far? Yeah, he is. He's uh, he's swinging the bat awfully well. It's and uh, you know, it's a case where probably the Astros don't have a lot of information on him. Um, but then again, you know, he hasn't seen a lot of the pitchers too. Mm-hmm. You know, he's sitting down the lineup. Uh, uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, good for him. He's, he's done a heck of a job. That's hey, when whenever you get an opportunity. Mm-hmm. It does. You know, you have to step and through that door. You ha- you have to make it happen at that time. That's what he's doing, and you got to tip your cap to him. You know, it's like I, I used to always tell players when I was coaching at the uh, at the university. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, "Hey, you guys, you, you're you're 20 years old now." I said, "I was 19, and I was <laughs> playing AAA baseball." I said that remember one thing, and that is the baseball doesn't know how old you are mm-hmm. when it's being thrown to you by the pitcher. Okay, it doesn't have a clue. So, so what if you're you know nineteen, twenty? You know, you, so you need to get it done at that at that level because because whenever opportunity comes, that's when you have to rise up because you may never. Some guys don't get a second opportunity some guys get five opportunities yeah. <laughs> but uh, some guys only get one and so you got to make it happen he's making it happen we are with the terry pool on sports 1440 so in 1980 
you had a great season with the Astros. You've been up uh, with the big club for a couple of seasons, but you had 13 home runs in 1980. And by no stretch, as you would fully admit, you were uh, not a power guy, but you had 13 dingers. But you guys make it, the Astros do, to the National League Championship Series against Philadelphia, where you hit 526 in the series? I did. Yeah, it, uh, it was one of those time periods where everything, uh, you know, I was swinging, I was hitting on the barrel. Hmm. Uh, I might back up and just say that uh, the Astrodome, where we played, mm-hmm. was the most difficult place to ever hit a home run. I was told when I first walked in by Bob Watson, who was a power hitter at that time, he said, Terry, if you want to survive in the Astrodome, you have to keep the ball out of the air. And I, I saw guys come in, Mike Schmidt, who, who I mean, he had 500 home mm-hmm. runs in his career. He came, I've never seen a more frustrated hitter when he came to the Dome. The Dome, you know, the air conditioners would blow in. You know, it was dead air because of the humidity in Houston. And uh, it just, the ball would not fly there. And then we had the, the spacious Astrodome, too. You had the, When I played there, you had to hit the ball up into the seats. Mm-hmm. You know, later on, they actually put an interior fence in, Brought it in about, you know, 10, 15 uh, feet, and uh, it was like a 10-foot wall. I remember walking out there after I'd finished playing with the Astros and with Craig Reynolds. We were, we were there before a ball game. We stood at home plate and looked at the new fence, and we went, oh, my gosh, why <laughs> why wasn't that fence here when we played? <laughs> oh, um, so in that 1980 series, uh, best of five, I believe, back then? Yes, it was league championship series with the Phillies. Yeah, and it was a close series, obviously. Um, how close were you to? I mean, the Phillies went on to win the World Series. How close were you to beating uh, the, four, the? You know what would be the uh, World Champs? Yeah, well, that uh, that series went uh, five games, of course. Uh, four of them were uh, decided in extra innings, and oh. the last one was decided in the bottom of the uh, one of the ninth inning. And so it's a, it was a. One of the greatest series you know, the, of all time, really, I think. Uh, and um, like you said, the, the, the Phillies, they, there was no quit in them, but there was no quit in us either. And, and uh, it was a little more offensively uh, uh, type of a series than what I think everybody thought, you know, with the likes of Steve Carlton and Nolan Ryan on the other side. <laughs> Uh, so uh, there were some there were some heavyweight pitchers too. Oh man, oh man! Terry Poole is our guest on the Kevin Carrier Show, Sports fourteen forty. Uh, you finished your major league career with a nine ninety three fielding percentage. Uh, it was at the top for many many years. I don't know even know if it still is number one all time for the amount of games played. But what was it about? Um, and I guess they never had. Did did they have gold gloves back then? They did have gold gloves, and I never, never won one. Why uh, not? Kind of that's well, that kind of <laughs> irritates me a little bit. But yeah, you know, it just it, it was more of a popularity popularity oh, contest back then. And uh, I remember one year, <laughs> not taking anything away from Dave Parker. Mm-hmm. I think Dave had fourteen errors one year, and he <laughs> won it in seventy nine. I made zero errors, and I hit two ninety two. And I went uh, okay. So I just oh. you know, that's just something. I think one day I'll just. You take one of my old gloves and, and bronze it, and then just throw it up in you know somewhere around the house. <laughs> oh, pretty cool. Um, but I remember you telling me one story. Uh, a lot of your buddies uh, from Malbo went down to Chicago, 
Uh, watch a game at Wrigley when the Astros were playing there. I hope you can remember this uh, because you hadn't made an error for many, many games. But something happened in that game where the sun was maybe a little in your eyes. Can you kind of tell that story? Well, actually, what happened was there was a little bit more in our eyes than anything else. We had, uh, had uh, three local uh, Melville guys came in, and uh, we had planned it. Now, let's uh, make sure we say that this was all prior to, you know, we were all single at the time. Okay. And so there was a little bit of partying going on. And remember, Chicago mm-hmm. played only day games at that time. And, you know, so we went out after game one. And uh, uh, we drank a few beer, I have to admit, okay? And uh, so anyways, the next day, you know, I I get to the ballpark, you know, at 8.30 on the bus. I've had about three hours of sleep, I think. And, uh, and we get to the first inning. I'm playing center field. And somebody hits a line drive out to me. And... I swear, even to this day, the ball took a bad bounce, came up and hit me off my chest, and went. And I got there was an error scored on the play, you know, because the runner went from first to second base. Mm-hmm. And you know, all, all my buddies are in the stands, and they're going, "Oh my gosh, what have we done to TP?" <laughs> you know, and uh, so, anyways, uh, uh, that game we ended up uh, winning the game in extra innings against Bruce Suter, who was their yeah. closer at that time. And I, I went four for six. I went to four for six in that game. And uh, so, anyways, I come walking out after the game, and you know, towards the bus, and we're going. And all my buddies are sitting there, and they're they're just you know cheering away and everything, and they're having a great time. And they said, "Come on, TP, we're going to have a party again." And I said, "Oh no, no, I'm going to bed right now." So that was the last time I saw them over there. And but then I've I've seen them at a few of our uh, our, our events, uh, you know, around Melville in the past. And I'm if they're ever in a, in attendance. At those I make them stand up because you know I, I had uh, you know uh, eighteen errors, uh, but they had they had they were the reason for one of them. <laughs> <laughs> what a great story by uh, Terry Poole, uh, former Houston Astro, now been in Houston uh, since his career ended. Um, I wanted to ask you one other story uh, that I hope you can remember again with Ferguson Jenkins. Um, we were, I, I don't know if we were doing a banquet years ago, but you told me this one. I uh, hope you can remember that and kind of relay that one to our listeners as well. Okay, yeah, yeah. that was in Chicago. You know, he, yeah. when he came back the second time, Fergie was, he's over there and he, he, he throws, a, uh, I don't know what the count was in the pitch, but he hits me with a breaking ball on my thigh, okay? <laughs> and he got me right square. You know, the ball just hit and stopped right at home plate. And so, you know, the ball just, you know, goes about, you know, I don't know, 10 feet away towards the mound. He comes walking down, comes down, and I'm jumping up and down, you know, just trying to rub it out and everything. And he he doesn't look at me. And uh, all he says was, sorry about that, Canuck. <laughs> and I started laughing. I went down to first base. It was, it was, it was pretty cool, you know, you know to uh, not only just to face Fergie Jenkins, who was obviously – you know, uh, he, and he's a great guy too. Mm-hmm. I've got to meet him over the years, and uh, uh, it's just just a wonderful uh, experience for me. You know that uh, that I got to face uh, a Hall of Famer, but uh, at that time the only Canadian Hall of Famer. For sure. Was. 
Yeah, Terry Poole is our guest on Sports 1440, the former Houston Astro. At that time, let, you know, let's just say it was around that time, how many Canadians were in the majors that you, you know, you and it must have been a very small fraternity. Yeah, it was it was rather small. Uh, in fact, uh, the, you know, when I first broke in there, I think there was about three or four of us, and uh, and then uh, and then the early '80s for a period of about I don't know about four or five years there, I was the only one. <laughs> and in fact, every time I'd go into Montreal, uh, the announcers would come over and say, "Well, you're holding the flag for the Canadians." And I'd go, well, just, <laughs> I'll be honest with you, uh, you know, that's that wasn't one of my thoughts that were coming up here you know i was you know i was thinking about how to how to get a hit off of rogers mm-hmm. but uh, uh anyways uh, uh for and then all of a sudden you know the the canadian programs took off and uh, they were putting a lot of players in the minor leagues and and then big leagues and i still remember when i was with uh you know, I was fortunate to coach Team Canada in the 2008 uh, Beijing Olympics, mm-hmm. and uh, Greg Hamilton, who's the head of Baseball Canada, asked me if I'd do it. And I, you know, usually I ask my wife if uh, it's okay, but and I said, "Yeah, I'll do that one." Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, that, that was that was the time when Ernie Witt couldn't because he was still with the he was still with the the major league team and no major league, you know, right. they in, in their regular season, but. Uh, you know, I, with Greg, you know, Greg knew the the baseball Canada so well. But at that time, there were 128 Canadian players either in the big leagues or in the minor leagues total at that time in 2008. So that they've come a long way. So that's kind of where I was going to go with this next, Terry, the growth of Canadian ball. And then what did you enjoy about being involved with the national team as manager? I think the best thing was, uh, you know, I, I, at the time, I just started with uh, the college program that we, uh, we were uh, building in the uh, University of Houston, Victoria. Uh, I guess what it was is, was the talent level, you know, to be able to manage mm-hmm. uh, a, a level of player. And now, we, we had most of our players were probably A ball. Um, we had a, you know, one or two uh, guys from AAA. So I remember the U.S. team had all AAA players. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, we didn't, you know, we, Canada didn't at that time still have. We tried to get a guy named Joey Votto, <laughs> and um, but he was injured with the Cincinnati Reds at that time, and the Reds wouldn't let us have him. Uh, but uh, it was a it was a fun experience. I got to be around Mike Saunders and Mike, if you remember, uh, uh, was with the Seattle chain at that time. And so I took him down and uh, uh, and played him the first game. He was he was brought on as a fifth outfielder, mm-hmm. and he was 18 years old, 18 or 19 years old in his first year with Seattle. And uh, and he played a couple of exhibition games, and he hit the ball. He could he had a cannon for an arm. And I said, I got to see more of this guy, Greg. And uh, so I kept on playing him, and I played him the whole uh, the whole time uh, um, down in Cuba. We went down to Cuba to play. And we came back, and I called up the Astros. And I called their general manager. I says, hey, there's a guy in Seattle. His name is Mike Saunders. Make a trade for him right now. <laughs> and uh, and they said, uh, they, they told me, well, we'll put a guy on him. And I said, wait a minute. Are you, what do you mean put a guy on him? I just had him for two weeks. 
I've, I've seen him play every day for two weeks, and they never did. Then the following year, he was in that uh, Futures game. Remember the the that's where, and it was all over. You know, Mike, you mm-hmm. know, had the fast track to the big leagues. He was, uh, but he played he played with uh, our program all the way through and. Uh, Great guy, I could, you know, Mike. Yeah. Mike uh, was—he's uh, a fun-loving guy, but boy, he had some tools. Hey, Terry, I can't thank you enough for your time this morning. I shot you off a text yesterday, and I thought, ah, we'll see what he's doing. But, uh, you know, we've done a few banquets over the years, and obviously uh, I'm very proud to say I'm from the same hometown as you. So thanks for doing this today. Kevin, it's good to be with you. I say hello to all the people at Westlock, Alberta. (laughs) that was there uh, as a Sandlot team when we were 12 years old. We we won the Western Canada title there. And then, of course, uh, when we went to Barhead and won the midget title nationally, title there so that you know, Alberta is a is a wonderful place uh, um, and uh, has a lot of history for Terry Poole you know and uh, in terms of uh, his early baseball days well for sure uh, appreciate your time uh, Terry talk soon and uh, take care that was Terry Poole, a longtime MLB player with the Houston Astros and then briefly with the Kansas City Royals as well. Uh, from Melville, Saskatchewan, all the way to the major leagues. A long career for Terry and uh, not just long, but uh, very effective MLB player for a long time. So a great chat with Kevin. That one came to us back in the middle of October. Uh, Terry was powered by Booster Juice. Get the boost you need at Booster Juice. A couple locations right here in West Edmonton Mall for you to check out as well, of course, all around the city. When we come back, we will check in with Paul Bizanet, uh, the biggest man in sports uh, or NHL showbiz at the moment. NHL on TNT, Spit and Chicklets podcast. And uh, yeah, he also played in the NHL for uh, at least a brief period of time. Uh, David Schlemko's first roommate in the NHL as well. So we'll check in with Biz when we come back here on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Welcome back to the Kevin Carrier Show here on Sports 1440, rolling up on 8.30 here in the Capital Region, coming live from the Stingray Studios in West Edmonton Mall, rolling through our best-of edition of the Kevin Carrier Show. And next up, we got the uh, guy who went from being switched from a uh, minor league all-star defenseman to a grinder and fighter in the uh, NHL level, now rubbing shoulders with uh, Wayne Gretzky on the NHL on TNT panel and the host of Spittin' Chicklets podcast. Uh, Paul Bizanet uh, brought to you by Mr. Rooter Plumbing. At Mr. Rooter, they only employ the finest organic grain-fed free-range plumbers. For all your plumbing needs, go to mrrooter.ca. Now here is Biz with Kevin and Schlemmer. Let's bring in uh, Biz Nasty, Paul Bizanet, former teammate of David Schlemko's uh Paul Biznaski, welcome to the big program. How are you, big guy? Kevin, what's this I hear that Schlemmer's chirping me about keeping him up for pregame naps? <laughs> I've been seeing this clip going around the internet. Like, this guy needed to sleep playing 12 minutes a night. He was probably <laughs> too busy ripping the bong the night before, and that's why he was so cranky. <laughs> well, he's thinking, about the, he's thinking the same thing right now, Biz. Schlemmer, I had to I had to wake your ass up for games making a, a playlist on my laptop. That's what all the clicking was. Oh, I so enough that. with this nonsense chirping me on the internet and on your radio show i have a little respect for your former teammate hey I, ex- I explained the playlist i explained the playlist bud having good fun <laughs> how you doing brother i miss you buddy oh doing well bud how are you <laughs> hey i will say i was a little i was a little hard on the towels I would definitely go hard on the towels in the hotel room, and uh, maybe next time I get a roommate, I'll make sure to count uh, call down for a few extra. 
Oh boy. Oh boy. With uh, Biz Nasty, uh, Paul Biznet, Carius, Schlemko Sports 1440. So, in Schlemmer's words, he called you a borderline NHLer. And uh, I'm, yeah. that's, that's Schlemmer's words, not mine. Um, <laughs> but say the same thing about me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, I mean, but look at you now from where you were when you retired. I mean, to to where you are now, you're sitting with Wayne Gretzky on the TNT set. I mean, you've got one of the most successful podcasts going. Um, you're one of the most popular guys in the sport, not playing. Um, how how have you accomplished all of this? And like, and what are your thoughts? Just if you were to kind of take a picture of yourself on the outside looking in and, and ex- try to explain that, this journey, how would you do it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a crazy ride. I, I mean, I guess I got to thank social media and getting on um, Twitter at an early time where it just ended up opening up a lot of doors. And, you know, we, I gained a following on there. Um, through that, I was given opportunity to, to work with Sportsnet and, and other companies to produce video content. I would get interviewed more um, than pr- probably a regular fourth line plug when we were on the road or even with our local broadcast team. And I think it just made me really comfortable in front of the camera. And, uh, and then, so I guess I, I, I'll try to tell the story as quick as possible. So when I got done with Phoenix after my five year NHL career, um, I didn't have a job. So I ended up going on a PTO to St. Louis and then ended up on my couch for about a month, like fully depressed, couldn't even get an American league gig. And it was a very vulnerable place. So it's, I was fortunate enough where I ended up getting an American league gig, won a Calder cup with the Manchester Monarchs, played two more years with the Ontario reign with the Kings organization. But in my last year, I tore both my ECLs and, that experience of being on the couch and knowing that like no one's going to save you and this can be taken from you at any point, it, it prepared me in a mental state to when I knew when the time was going to come that I had to jump right into something. And I was fortunate enough to get the Coyotes radio gig, but I also did this film project that first summer when I was retired. I just oh, yeah. dove right into it, went on the road, self-funded it, uh, did all the logistics. Like we, we, it's called Biz Does BC. It's like this mm-hmm. silly mockumentary that we did, and it's goofy. It, it's like you know, it's it, it's a, it's a debauchery, but it, it taught me a lot about how to be in front of the camera, um, editing, all of it. And from then on there, it just like it just kind of propelled things with doing the radio and really not saying no to a lot of stuff. I just was able to experience a lot of things. And then fortunately, um, after going on the Spit and Chicklets podcast about three times for interviews, my former teammate, Ryan Whitney, was like, hey, like, I feel like we're kind of missing a dynamic with me and R.A. And we'd like you to join. And it just so happens I hadn't released that mockumentary yet and it said i said perfect we'll release the mockumentary with barstool i'll join the podcast after i'd gotten my feet wet in radio for a year and then obviously from letting it fly and not holding back i think it was probably refreshing to some especially the younger generation and then it ended up just kind of taking on a mind of its own and i i i was very and still am very involved in the business side of stuff like i enjoy business and and all that like for instance like when we got new amsterdam as a sponsor to the podcast 
they said talk about your favorite drink and wit said pink whitney and all the we started getting all these messages about it on twitter so i like me and my buddy right away we filed for the domain and wit and barstool right away were like no we're a hockey podcast beat it like let's just focus on the hockey podcast and well now we're we're moving 1.2 million cases of pink whitney a year and oh, uh, fortunately, <laughs> yeah, in, yeah, in Schlemmer's backyard. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so it, it's like I said, it just kind of all grew from there. And then just no, like not having wife or a kids has helped be able to give me a lot of flexibility where I, I, I didn't say no to a lot. So it opened up a lot of doors and, um, and then eventually TNT got the broadcast and you know, Wayne's kid, uh, Trevor Gretzky, mm-hmm. he goes, Hey, you should reach out. And then, you know, Wayne having <laughs> Wayne's, the, the, you know, he's the, I mean, what's the word I use? Um, he's kind of like, uh, the Godfather, right? Like whatever he says goes and he goes, why don't you guys give this a try? And then, and then it was like the rest is history. So getting sitting, getting to sit next to Wayne is just, it's, it's insane from a fourth line peasant to get in, to be buddies with Wayne Gretzky. Like I got to spend three days with him this summer at Gazer at his, his summer cabin there. And he's, it's just, it's a whirlwind. So I don't, I hope I did a good job of explaining it, but it doesn't make sense to me either most days. And uh, I'm just very blessed and very grateful that it worked out the way it did. Uh, one thing I, I do remember though, even just from our coyote days is like, you were always out, networking yourself like you're in the scene it wasn't like it just fell in your lap like i feel like you have always worked for it a little bit no yeah it's <laughs> like like uh when, we, when i first got to town like i remember i went to the w schlemmer like the w Scottsdale, like because they got a nice nightclub there and yeah. uh, you know i was young and single and I was like, hey, yeah, like I'm at the front. I'm like, hey, we play for the Coyotes. And my guy's like, oh, okay, cool. Like back of the line, loser. <laughs> <laughs> and so from there, like, I, you know, I would always just like, hey, hey uh, here's four tickets for you and some of the bouncer guys. Like come to a game. And so next thing you know, like we didn't have to wait in line, just like net- networking throughout town. And, yeah, that was just always something I kind of did. And uh, and obviously it kind of helped lead to other things as well, like uh, like you're talking about. But, uh, yeah, I would say that it was definitely in, in my personality as well, Schlemmer, for sure. With uh, Biz Nasty, Paul Bissonnette, Karius, Schlemko, Sports 1440. In the Capital Region, uh, just a couple more for you, Biz. I know you're uh, uh, just jammed up against it. You're probably the busiest guy in show business. But um, uh, you you mentioned the Wayne Gretzky angle, and you did spend some time with him. Can you just explain to our listeners um, what that dynamic is when you guys are on the set, how you prepare, and how you kind of translate that relationship uh, during your broadcast? Well, I try to prepare hard for Wayne. He's an, he's a hockey encyclopedia to sit down with this guy. He could rifle off some of the craziest hockey stories. One after another, after another, after another, it doesn't end. And he just loves the game so much. So even the history of the game before his time. And like when, you know, Gordy Howe and Guy Lafleur and having absorbed these stories from those guys as well. So, I mean, the, the dynamic is, 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 you know, I try to bring as much as I can from like a studying perspective, but I think what we all want from Wayne is just to, well, hear his opinion on what he thinks of certain situations on the ice and how he saw the game because he lived it. Mm-hmm. 
but also the, just the history and and all these amazing stories with these legends that have paved the way for for the league to get to where it is and it's it's just like i said it's 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 unbelievable getting to hang out with the guy and it and i'm not just saying this because i'm on edmonton radio he loves the city of edmonton he taught he goes the people there are the nicest people on the planet he loves going back he always tells me he goes he goes if, if you ever talk about if you're ever talking about me make sure you tell people how much i love the, 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 mm-hmm. uh, the, the people of edmonton he says that to me like probably once every two months so i just want to relay the message like he loved his time there and mm-hmm. and he's He's obviously grateful for getting this, to have that group of, uh, and that team that, to win four cups and, and bring them home. And uh, he's just he's just the best. And then we also have an amazing crew with, with Liam McHugh, who's an incredible yeah. bus driver. Anson Carter, who also spent some time in Edmonton, who's been doing TV for about 12 to 15 years. It was it really sucked to lose talk because I learned so much from the coaching dynamic and the structure of the game from him, just like I would have Dave Tippett. Um, but we we ended up fortunately finding a great replacement in Henrik Lundqvist. Where now you get the well, he's a man missile too. So you know more <laughs> ladies ladies are watching, and I can get some style tips. But he also brings that that goalie perspective and is very articulate and and explaining people the goalie position. Which I mean, we all know. I mean, if you got good goaltending, like look at look at Florida, you can go all the way to the dance. Right. So now you're on this national broadcast. I just got one more question for you. Just knowing you and the way you talk and hear you on the podcast, do you kind of have to watch what you say and the things you say depending on where you are? And have you ever gotten in trouble for that? (laughs) I put on a double filter before the show, Schlemmer. (laughs) That's why sometimes I I skip out on the broadcast because I'm like, oh, yeah, if I said that, I'd be done. But you just yeah, yeah. re-up the deal. All all you guys re-up with TNT. Um, you got to be excited about that. And uh, any words of advice for uh, just an up-and-coming radio broadcaster like David Schlemko? Any <laughs> any words of advice, Biz? Just but he he's the man. Schlemko's the man. <laughs> I mean, like, he's so, he's so chill. I mean, he's, he's probably a pleasure to work with. Oh, he's chill, all right. Um, oh, he's. <laughs> So chill. He, he, that's why I thought he was so good with the puck. It's because he didn't have a heartbeat. So he'd be coming, <laughs> coming up the ice, last man back, and I'd be, I, I'd be shitting my pants, last man back, tearing up the ice. And he would just always make the right play. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you for the career you had. You ended up playing in a few more spots where you, you ended up in Montreal and in San Jose towards the end. Yeah. Jersey, San Jose, Montreal, the old suitcase, bud. Yeah, you turned into a suitcase, but hey, buddy, at least somebody wanted you and you weren't in the American League like old busy boy here. <laughs> but uh, hey, keep doing your thing, Schlemmer. You're an amazing teammate, a, a great guy. I hope the family's good. And because it's you, buddy, we could we could maybe do this every couple months. I'd love to come oh, on and have around with you, boy. Uh, that's it, great. And, amazing, and I, get to, I get to read the plumbing extra that you, you really enjoyed as well, Biz. Get the same <laughs> get the same plumbing ad for every time. Maybe they'll step up. We'll get to, but tell them, tell them I get a coupon for my place in Victoria. We're going to have to step over. Sometimes I well, clog her up. <laughs> uh, you know what? We only got uh, a couple of uh, bombs, two bombs in the, the 40 minutes we talked. We appreciate your time, Biz. So, uh, uh, thanks uh, for this, and maybe we'll bump into you uh, on a TNT broadcast when you guys come up here. Love it. Hey, thanks so much again for having me, guys. Thanks yeah. a lot, Biz. All Talk right. Talk to you later, brother. Yeah, thanks, Plumber. 
Paul Bizanetta, NHL on TNT panelist, Spit and Chicklets podcast host, and former NHL player at teammates with our Wednesday co-host, David Schlemko, down in the desert. Uh, Biz was brought to you by Mr. Rooter. There's a reason they call the Mr. For all your plumbing needs, go to mrrooter.ca. Coming up on the Kevin Carey Show, we will uh, hear from Olympic gold medalist two times over, Katrina Lemay-Done, uh, pairing up with our other gold medalist uh, on the program, Lorianne Munzer, our Monday morning host with Kevin. Uh, Laura, uh, Katrina joined us back just uh, earlier in this month, actually. So we'll check in with Katrina right after the break here on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Welcome back to the Kevin Carrier Show. Brandon Douglas sitting in for Kevin here on this Wednesday morning, uh, just after quarter to nine in the Capital Region. Stingray Studios here in West Edmonton Mall is where we're coming to you live from. Uh, rolling through our best of program, a collection of interviews we've collected over the past uh, four months or so. Uh, next up on the docket, we have two-time Olympic gold medalist Katrina LeMay-Done uh, chatting with Kevin as well as Lorianne Munzer about uh, Katrina's time at the Olympics as well as uh, her role with the Olympic Committee here in Canada. We welcome in two-time Olympic gold medalist Katrina Lemaydon. Katrina, you're with Kevin Carries and another former Olympic gold medalist, Lauriad Munzer. Welcome to Sports 1440. Good morning. Thank you so much. I think I'm just going to take the next 10 minutes off and you and Lauriad can just shoot the breeze. How's that sound? <laughs> Good morning, Katrina. Is it- is it too early to pour a beer and uh, <laughs> never too early for that? <laughs> then we can just chat. We can chat openly, no problem. Oh, so um, <laughs> how you been keeping? I mean, I, I I know you have such a good connection with Lorianne, being you know Olympic gold medalist two time for you, and Lorianne, of course, won in uh, two thousand four in in Greece. But just what about a, a connection between the two of you? Just touch on that, uh, Katrina, and then Lorianne, you can pony off that. Yeah, you know, it's been interesting because I think way back, sort of when we were starting, Canada didn't do a great job at connecting athletes. We would sort of meet after we retired and even athletes from winter sports. I mean, I met a skier that I'd gone to three Olympics with. We didn't meet until after we'd both retired. And now we're doing a much better job at connecting people. Social media helps with that, but also just events. And so Lorianne and I have connected at various times and it's just, it's a mindset of, of understanding what we've gone through. And it's a bit of a different world. It's a bit of a different, um, you know, we choose the, that crazy world <laughs> and there's many similarities to business, but it's just, it's just different and it's hard for people to really understand it until they've been a part of it. I would have to agree on that. And I think it's the events afterwards. You don't always have the time when you're traveling, when you're training, when you're racing. We're in different parts of the country or we're in totally different parts of the world. Um, you know, speak, speak, to the, speak to it if you can. When you were training and then racing, where, like, what were you really thinking about? You know, was it the big Olympic game or were there different milestones in between? Walk us through that. Well, I start to sweat with stress already thinking about it. You know, it, it's a battle, and I think it's a battle constantly because your goal as an Olympic athlete are the games. So, you know, it's every four years, and you know, similar to yours, mine is 37 seconds. So you've one chance every four years, and that's it. But, of course, every year then you have world championships, you have world cups. But, it, it, you know, and the training plan is set for peaking at different times during the year but obviously your focus is there but you know I look back and 
there's certain parts that I miss about it, the simplicity of the training. Um, you know, it's life is so busy now and you have a million things going on, but the simplicity is kind of beautiful, but it's also, I mean, the stress is nothing like, you know, I'll ever experience again, especially when I look back at 2002 because nobody had defended and that, to me still sort of brings up joy but a lot of anxiety and that's what I like to sort of help people with is sort of you know how do you deal with that because it is it's you know one second can sort of not change your life I don't like that perspective but change the outcome of how you view possibly yourself it's true and and I can agree, agree with so much of what you're saying like the level of stress whether it's the NHL, whether it's the NFL, the CFL, Olympics is really, really high. And there's a huge, huge, huge component. The other thing, as you said, for your event, it was 37 seconds. For my first Olympics in Athens, my event lasted 36 seconds. So I'm thinking, you're on skates, I'm on two wheels. This yeah. is absolutely like crazy when you think about the power outputage. You're going as fast, if not faster, than I did on my bicycle. So the training that goes into it. And I remember when we were in Athens, I don't know if you remember this, we were in the infield. It was you, Kurt Harnett and myself. And it was just before I was going off and we were talking about the mindset that you need to have. And we were talking about, now this is me going back in almost 19, 20 years. You said you saw everything. You could even see the camera. You saw everything. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm seeing like a pin drop, just what's in front (laughs) of me. And it was so interesting when I heard that from you is just that everybody sees things from a different perspective. So, you know, what is your perspective when you were competing on just what was around you? What were you taking all in and yet shutting out? You know, I mean, and one of my good friends just recently said, I never realized, you always talk about 37 seconds. I thought you had round robins. I thought you had heats and semis. He said, I didn't realize it was once every four years, one race. And so that's, I think, where the pressure came to. You can't, you know, I talked to Danielle Goyette from the women's national hockey team, and she said, I can have a bad shift. She goes, I didn't even have a bad game. She goes, because I have how many 20 other girls to uh, to support me but i remember when i was in the zone i everything flowed on the ice really naturally and then i was aware of my surroundings so let me just say olympic races i wasn't always aware of my surroundings they were good enough but they weren't my best races and i think the biggest thing when i retired is i had a close to perfect race it was the canadian record and i mean my kids think it's cool. I think it's, it's, it's a little bit sad. I still have the Canadian record from 2001, but it that race was as close to perfect as it could have been, but in the last 50 meters weren't. But I had to come to grips that there isn't a perfect race. It doesn't exist. Yeah. And that to me is very difficult because I'm a bit of a perfectionist or at least was. And so that's what's been, I think that, that's probably the toughest thing when you're at that level to be a perfectionist and realize you can never achieve it. Katrina Lemay-Dones, our guest on Sports 1440. Kevin Carey, along with Lori Ann Munzer. And so, Katrina, you did mention when you won in um, Salt Lake in 2002, was it harder because you were defending your title that you won in 1998 in Nagano, but just the fact that you had maybe a target on your back and you were the hunted? Everyone was coming, kind of gunning for you. Yeah, they were different. I mean, people look at 
my two gold and they say, which one's your favorite? And I'm like, that's like asking which one of my children is my favorite. (laughs) So really hard to answer. It depends on the day. Um, You know, I think 98, I was recovering from, I'd fallen in 94, being ranked fifth in the world. So I was kind of overcoming my internal demons. But 2002, um, the fact that no Canadian individual had ever defended a gold male, female winter summer, that's in over 100 years, that's a stat that's kind of hard to deal with. So, um, you know, then there was a flag bearer jinx. There was kind of everything was was going wrong around us. Two days before my race, my teammate Jeremy Weatherspoon took two steps off the line and fell, and he was expected to win. So it was just, I remember as a whole team, like as a Canadian team, we had the figure skating scandal. It was just sort of like, oh my goodness, what else can go wrong? And... I remember as soon as I crossed the line, my physio had said, she goes, now everything is realigned and we can move forward. (laughs) And that's kind of how I felt. And when you hear words of wisdom like that, sometimes I think that takes a lot of the pressure off because a lot of times as you're shooting for the Olympics, you have to get it right. And then it becomes, well, I've got to get it perfect every time. And Mm -hmm. then the pressure just really mounts. And and I can relate to that a lot. But as as, as an athlete, you have to let that go. And I remember... I remember watching as you know some of your interviews before when you were a flag bearer is just okay there's that jinx but then it was just no it's not a jinx and you went out and you proved it you did your best and going from there is just it's what you do in the moment so if you're speaking to athletes because I know that you do a lot of speaking and that what are the messages that you share with you know the next generation of athletes Mm -hmm. or students or you know business people as well Mm -hmm. you know and it's the same again whether it's athletes business people um, you know my day-to-day work is Sport Calgary which is our community sport council it's it's community leaders also it's the fact that you only control a certain amount. I mean, my goodness, it sounds so much easier than it really is, but our brains are so powerful and we just, we get ourselves out of sort of sorts. We just have to sort of simplify it and go step by step. And so, you know, we need to be realistic, but we also, I think often many of us, and and I blame myself now what various times we put ourselves in a comfort zone we don't want to get out of the comfort zone because it's you know it's safe there if if all of a sudden we do really well oh my goodness we're going to stand out we're going to be different we're going to you know not fit in with the crowd and that's intimidating super intimidating it, it to me it doesn't matter what we're talking about any level of sport any level of business whatever industry it it's the same and so we have to have that courage, but as I say that, you know, I mean, it's a day-to-day battle. It's an hour-by-hour battle for everybody, and that's normal. We're human, and we just make, we often make things way too complicated, which is probably why I drink wine. <laughs> Going into closing ceremonies, I know that you've been flag bearer, opening and closing. You also lit the torch in Vancouver in 2010. Tell me about that, because I heard there was a little bit of a malfunction going on. <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> you know what's funny is so last week, I mean, huge honor. I got to give the tribute to Christine Sinclair at her retirement. And I said to the producer, I said, you know, the last time I was out on the main field of BC Place, which that night was Christine Sinclair Place, I said was in 2010 in February. And he's like, oh, no, are you bad luck? <laughs> and I said, well, at least it's not BC Place now. So, um, you know, I, I, the memories of what happened in 2010 came back with the malfunction of the cauldron. But, um, yeah, you know, it's 
the simplicity is when when you look back at things, it's simple, but it's never simple when you when you're planning it, when you're in the moment. Things are never simple, and part of it is because we make it complicated. But you know, it's when I look back at my career, the the things that stand out are you know not standing on the podium in Salt Lake singing the anthem with 20,000 people but it's it's the training camps it's the simple part it's those memories it's you know carrying the carrying the torch on October 30th uh, 2009 with Simon Whitfield we were the first uh, torchbearers that was one of the most powerful Olympic moments I've ever had and then being chef de mission 2022 those are the simple moments that to me if if you know, today's my last day on this earth. Then I look back at those things and those are the things that sort of give me joy because they're the ones that made an impact on the people around me. It's, it's, you know, Lorianne, you know, it's great to, to succeed and achieve your goals. It's what you do with the stuff. And that's where, you know, I've, I've met a lot of people who have had great success, whether you're talking pro sport, Olympic sport, whatever it is, but I'm only impressed with somebody if they take what they've done and they do something great with it. That's when I really respect people. Well, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on this morning, mm-hmm. Katrina. That was a lot of fun. I was actually lucky enough to skate with you and all the rest of the media when I was working in Calgary in 1996 or 7. Uh, oh, we, yeah, we those came media up, days are fun. Yeah, I mean, I, all I know, I was way better than Glenn Campbell. <laughs> Doesn't I just want to know were you wearing spandex. No, I was not wearing spandex. So. <laughs> <laughs> but you did give me some pointers and it helped me out immensely. Thank you very much. Uh, awesome. And th- thanks so much for coming on today. It was, uh, yeah, I'm sure you had a nice time kind of reminiscing with Lorianne as well. So. Yeah, thanks. perfect. Thanks so much, you guys. Thanks, right. Katrina. Two-time Olympic gold medalist Katrina LeMay-Adone uh, joined Kevin and Lorianne here on the program back on December 11th. Uh, Katrina brought to you by United Sport and Cycle. Their annual Boxing Day week is on right now. Scratch and save 10 to 60% off storewide and site-wide as well. Time to get yourself what you didn't get for Christmas down at United Cycle. At the top of the hour, we will uh, check in with Ladislav Schmid, uh, speaking about his personal journey uh, following the wrap-up of his hockey career through recovery and into sobriety to kind of where he is now as our Thursday co-host here on the Kevin Carey show but before that we'll get to a sports 1440 update brought to you by the Snow Valley Ski Club book your kids 5 to 12 years old in one of our holiday camps running throughout the Christmas school break visit snowvalley.ca for details